six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Prepare yourself for a world of seriousness. This is What is going on, everybody? Conley here with the Science Nights. We, ha hey, as promised, we got a live show today. We have Dr. Anurban Bhattacharjee, Dr. Thomas Schiller, and all the way from Australia, Dr. Sean Graham in the house live for our special live show here. If you have some questions for the Knights, give us a call, 837-1240. And we'll be just rapping a little bit uh, throughout this uh, show here. We got a lot to get to, a uh, lot of new discoveries. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we've had a pretty active few months in science, so I think we have uh, new topics to talk about. And um, I've got a story okay. before we get going. It's Let's not it. science-related. And uh, the other nights were making fun of me about this story. Because so, <laughs> it is kind of lame, but uh, <laughs> I was... <laughs> I was in I was in Terlingua over the past weekend uh, with some buddies, and uh, we were staying at the ghost town. And we were told by the guy that owns the place that there was a, a movie being filmed in Terlingua, and there was an actor and production crew staying at the same place we were at. And so we were all kind of trying to think of who it could possibly be. Like, is it Kurt Russell? Is it Angelina Jolie? Who could it be? And uh, for those of you who are true Texans and watched King of the Hill when it was on TV, um, it was John Redcorn. It was the guy that plays John Redcorn on that show. So that was that was my fun story for the weekend. But. John Redcorn. Now remind me of this person. He's the masseuse that uh, that cheats with Dale's wife on the show. It's also the yeah. same guy who plays the casino owner in Parks and Recreation, if you've watched that show, too. Awesome. Okay. okay. Totally unrelated to science, but I, I, Thomas. I was looking at rocks when I was down there. So. Oh, there you go. Thomas, how did you know who this person was? It, 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 it was he a cartoon? It, it, it was a living cartoon. <laughs> no, he was he was out there drinking beers around the the fire ring, and we walked up, and and he started you know throwing out John Redcorn quotes. And oh, to get noticed. Oh, yeah, yeah. He also he also sells he also sells uh, spices now. He has his own line of spices. King of the Grill. So wow. John Redcorn. So wow. uh, what I'm not getting here is Thomas. Why Kurt Russell? Kurt Russell. Are you thinking it's from Escape from L.A. New York? Kurt, Kurt Russell or Kurt Russell? Something like new, like overboard. <laughs> I don't know. Overboard. I mean, why? I mean, if I want to think about a male super like Hollywood star, it would be more fun. One like seems like Christopher Walken would be fun to hang out with. Well, we were, you know, we were out in Terlingua, so we were trying to think that maybe it's a western or something like that. So we're trying to think of actors who would be in a modern western. Kurt Russell was one that came up. Uh -huh. So we, uh, we we were also thinking, you know, maybe Woody Harrelson. Ah, that would be fun. Bob Saget was another one. <laughs> Woody Harrelson would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> but it was John Redcorn. <laughs> John Redcorn, okay. And we, we talked about go. spices and, and King of the Hill. Woody Harrelson would actually go out and like look for rocks and dinosaurs with you. He seems like a, that kind yeah. of person. He, he probably lives out there. Yeah. And Keanu Reeves would be too polite to tell you to 
go somewhere else, yeah. <laughs> even though he was yeah, he getting was, bothered by you. Yeah. Well, he kind of secretly wanted it to be like Angelina Jolie or or Elizabeth Hurley or someone like that. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, why not? <laughs> well, uh, Honorbond, what about what, what have you been doing? Oh, nothing much. Just sitting at home, teaching online classes. That's about it. Yeah. Same, same. Yeah, nothing still much. on that tiger? <laughs> yeah, still on the tiger, nice. riding it like crazy. Oh, nice. Very <laughs> nice. And, and you know, uh, it's funny, all the way from Australia. So you've been in India and you've been calling in. Yeah. But now, you know, we have Thomas Schiller. <laughs> and honor bond in Pondicherry here in the station. Uh, I am here, of course, but all the way from Australia, we have Sean Graham. Sean, hey, what's up? Hey, what's going on, guys? Yeah, I, you know, I can never let anybody beat me, so I decided to go even farther away than honor bond. So, <laughs> Are you about I'm three thousand miles away from us right now? I'm calling you guys from uh, three in the morning tomorrow. <laughs> from the future, you're mad from, from tomorrow. <laughs> Hey, yeah. Sean, Sean where, whereabouts in Australia are you? So I'm in a, a small town called Dubbo, which you've never heard of, which is about um, three, four hours west of Sydney. Hmm. For the past two weeks, we've been in quarantine in a hotel in Sydney. Um, uh, and so we finally got out of quarantine yesterday. We drove out here to Dubbo, where we're going to be for the next couple of months. And... Uh, I just happened to wake up at 2.30 in the morning. And <laughs> here we are. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Now, it's not Mad Max over there, right? Like, they're, they're not fighting over oh, fuel? No, you know what it is. It's Mad Max in the United States. Over here, it's like the 1950s in the, in the U.S. <laughs> it's like uh, I, would, I, walked down to, I ran down to Dubbo last night um, in the evening, and nobody's wearing masks. Everybody's walking around, uh, shaking strangers' hands. There's kids on the sidewalk riding their bikes without fear of serial killers. It's right. unbelievable. It's like I went to another planet. I love it here. That you sounds amazing, to too. Yeah and, yeah, and that's because they're taking so much preventative measures, right? And, and they're really right. keeping... They're taking it super seriously. We got, we, we, we got a police motorcade from the uh, airport to our hotel for quarantine. They're taking it super seriously here. They're listening to their scientists. It's like uh, a utopia here. Totalitarianism in full effect. All right, good. All right, well, you know what? <laughs> this episode is all about new and amazing discoveries today. So uh, I know all of you have uh, something to touch on when it comes to new and amazing discoveries. And uh, last week, we had a really great episode about a uh, good old colloquial kiss. And uh, we we're talking about all, you know, the mating habits that were going on in, in the animal kingdom. But there is an update to that episode. And, and Thomas, and before Thomas can get jump in, I, I was trying to do a segue with Woody, Woody Harrelson helping Thomas collect bo rocks and dinosaurs out there for that thing. So yeah. <laughs> we did. We didn't find any cloacas on our trip, but uh, someone did. Yeah, um, a beautifully and, preserved one. Yeah, and um, so last, if you listened in last weekend, we talked about um, basically the mystery surrounding dinosaur reproduction and specifically the the anatomy that's related to that and uh the big question there was you know what did dinosaurs have going on downstairs did they have something similar to what birds or crocodilians have their kind of closest living relatives or something different we just didn't know um until 
fairly recently where um, a new fossil was described and the the junk was preserved the the cloaca the the opening in the the where that houses all of the excretory system and the reproductive organs they found a really well preserved example of one in in a dinosaur called Psittacosaurus, a little hmm. um, a really unusual kind of ancestor to the to the ceratopsians the frilled dinosaurs so we know they had cloacas and this um Cloaca is so well-preserved that we can actually see its shape and orientation and um, some of the components associated with it. Um, and it is different from crocodilians, and it is different from birds. Um, so basically, it's, it's a simple opening, just like birds and crocodilians, but it has these two kind of protuberances on the side and a protuberance above it. What's a protuberance? Just a thing that sticks out. Oh, okay. Um, these aren't sex organs. Or protruding. Protruding, yeah. It's the root word. Um, so it had these two little protuberances on the sides that were uh, colored differently than the, the rest of the, the underside of the animal. And, uh, and the same thing for the protuberance in the front. So the scientists were able to not only recognize that, that this dinosaur had a cloaca, but they could start to kind of um, theorize about what these these different colored protuberances were for. So hmm. you're saying it's as well preserved, like it was so well preserved, they could actually see the colors in those? Uh, they, could, uh, they could see that they were colored. That they, um, so is that through the blood vessels or... Well, so there are these 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 little organelles called melanosomes mm -hmm. in 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 cells that, that basically are responsible for pigment for generating melanin. Yeah, um, and in some really well preserved fossils, you can actually see the structure of those melanosomes, and you can match that with living things to determine what the color was. And they've done that with Psittacosaurus's body, basically. They can tell that the top of the animal is a different color than the bottom, just like lizards and crocodiles, um, modern reptiles. Um, so they know that the top and the bottom were different colors, but what they see at the cloaca is is these kind of dark patches that hmm. suggest that, that the protuberances around the cloaca were different colors. Hmm. And... Um, Oddly enough, when they look at they look at modern animals that have different coloration around their cloacas, it's like to prevent bacterial growth. Hmm. You know, certain I guess certain colors will will allow bacteria to, to to grow, and certain colors will will prevent that. Okay. Yeah. So that's one of the ideas. Um, they also think that these protuberances around the edges might have um, been like um, musk glands. You know, um, Sean, you can probably comment on this, but a lot of modern reptiles will secrete musk as as a part of their mating rituals and things like that. Is that correct, Sean? Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking of, um, I was trying to picture protuberances that you can see in, in some modern reptiles. And if you pick up a lizard or a turtle and turn it over, often it'll have little things that kind of project out, little scent glands. And snakes are a really good example of this. If you pull up, if you pick up a snake, these little kind of holes will sort of appear and you'll get sprayed by this musky smell. Um, it's not as bad as a skunk, 
but it's not pleasant. And so snakes are a good example of something that would have something like that for, uh, you know, for defensive purposes. And it's always been kind of assumed that they may also use it for uh, communicating with each other. You know, a, a male snake could smell the you know readiness of a female and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I could see I could see that. That's pretty interesting that they could have a system like that. Yeah, and uh, oh, I was going to say, um, like uh, garter snakes will do that. I remember mm-hmm. as a kid trying to grab garter snakes, and they will spray you with that nasty, yeah, the yeah. musk. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it might it might have been. I think they sell that right now. That that musk smell somewhere. I don't know who it's like. That Walmart. On. Walmart. You guys oh, want yeah. to know what it, what it's like? Just come you know, any any time during the summer. Come hang out with me, and I'll I'll smell like snake musk from my children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, snakes are very abundant out there in Australia right now. I hear. Yeah, they should be. I, I imagine it won't be long before I start seeing snakes <clears throat> and spiders. And spiders. Spiders. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> We're going to get to that a little bit later. And uh, so what else can you can can we define from? So it's different from any animal on Earth right now that's alive, right? <laughs> it's, it's slightly different compared to birds and, and crocodilians. Okay. Well, and it should be, we should mention that, um, and I think we, we nailed this pretty well, we kind of predicted this last week, uh, that um, the, the unusual vertebrates in this respect are mammals, not reptiles, not birds. Most, most vertebrates have a cloaca. And it's a little bit weird that mammals, uh, and specifically placental mammals, because um, marsupials and monotremes, like platypus and echidna, they have a cloaca too. And so the, really the only mammals, the exceptional mammals, are the ones that have the arrangement that we have. So there, there, we could have, I think we did predict, and we could have easily predicted that dinosaurs would have a cloaca and not what we have. Yeah. Yeah, it would be more unusual if they had some some weird novel yeah. thing going on, like us. <laughs> so we are pretty the, weird. <laughs> so where was this fossil discovered? I think this came from. I want to say For it came from South America, right? No, no, that's no? a different one. Oh, I, I think this one came from. I want to say Mongolia. Oh wow. Um, but I might be wrong there. I, I don't remember. Is that the huge fossil belt in northern China, Mongolia region, where they keep on uh, finding discoveries? Is yeah, that, I, a- I think it might have come from there. But again, I don't quote me on that. I don't remember where it was discovered. Okay. It was okay. it was actually found a couple of years ago, yeah. um, and only recently described and published. So, hmm. oh, so they went. They heard our show, and they were like, "Hey, we better go check. We better <laughs> we check our fossils and see if we can find a cloaca because yeah. the scientists are wondering." about what's under the dumpster of a Cetacosaurus. Yeah. That is completely accurate. And and coming yeah. coming off of that, actually, there was a... Did you read about that uh, cookie monster discovery? Oh, the uh, the agate? Yes. The cookie monster agate? Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. That, that didn't it sell for a bunch of money? Oh, it went... Yeah, Several I mean... thousands it, of dollars? Uh, well, it started at 10, but just went up to like 47, something ridiculous. Jeez. But... Oh, what is this thing? It looks uh, it's a it's a uh, a rock like a, it's a, it's a geode. A, oh, okay, so it's an agate which looks like Cookie Monster. It is looks that? identical to the Cookie Monster. Eyes, <laughs> a, a big smile, uh huh, blue. I mean, it looked absolutely under. I mean, it, 
They might as well just, you know, you know, sell it to kids, right? Okay. Right. Yeah. So let's make a cereal out of out of it or something. I'm looking. I'm looking at a picture of it, and it looks identical. Isn't that, isn't that neat? Yeah. But instead of yeah. selling it to a kid, they sold it to some nerd for forty forty grand. Right? Oh yeah, for yeah forty seven. I think is what I, I don't know, but still, I, I, it's pretty amazing. And it's pretty amazing what you can find just like researching it and look. Mm-hmm. Well. There's all these different things that we just haven't known about that are just coming into our own uh, paradigm, right? Yeah, and 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 agates are pretty enigmatic how they form and, mm-hmm. and why we have such brilliantly colored ones and ones that are just kind of drab and yeah. Well, if you watch History Channel, uh, aliens is the reason. Oh, of course. always, always. <laughs> yeah, and we can we can always explain things with aliens. Yeah. Always. Yeah. So, and uh, I was thinking um, on the lines of this uh, when you said they discovered it like two years ago. I'm, I and it's talking about the cloacal. Yeah, cloacal, yeah. Uh, not the Hagen monster, uh, but uh, the cloaca, and it took them two years to publish. So this kind of also shows, like, it's not like you're just going to the field and you find something and you're, oh, yes, this is amazing. They most probably didn't even realize at immediately at that point. They most probably took it to the lab and they worked on it, like removing the all around it, like the whatever debris that was on mm-hmm. top of it, like the sediment and stuff. Yeah. And then they found it. Like, took them like at least a year, year and a half to at least go to the... Well, I, I don't know that it required much prep work because um it was preserved kind of like if you can if you've ever seen the um, archaeopteryx fossil mm-hmm. from the solenhofen the uh, famous one or, yeah yeah um it was it was on a bedding surface oh, okay. oh okay. so they probably just pried it open or it was sitting out there in the open i would wow. i would probably guess that it took them a year or two to publish because that's just how long it takes uh, yeah you know of when course. we find something and i'm a perfect example of this because i have to teach too uh even if it's something really spectacular it could sit in my lab for a year or two or three before I actually have time to describe it. So wow. um, that could be the case with this, but um, in any case, is really spectacular find and answered a couple of questions. So this pretty uh, pretty much uh, nails it uh, for the not nails at least gives a huge clue to the dinosaur reproduction uh, reproductive systems right and it's mm-hmm. like uh, which we didn't have any clue before yeah and the and the excretory system and there were actually yeah. there was fossil poop in the in the digestive tract okay so, oh wow yeah so they had that too uh herbivore carnivore herbivore herbivore oh you're right you 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 kind of described the dinosaur a little bit but could you go a little de- in depth we're about to hit our first commercial break um Psittacosaurus really isn't that. Um, it's hard to describe. It's like a little. It's a. It's a quadrupedal dinosaur. So it walked around on four legs. Okay. Um, it had a, a relatively small, maybe just a, a couple of meters long. The uh, originally, what was so interesting about Psittacosaurus and why it's still studied is um, some Psittacosaurus fossils are found with these spiny projections, almost mm. hair-like projections on their tail. Hmm. Um, kind of like stegosaurus? No, these are like like spines. Oh, spines. Okay. So um, it's kind of brought into the argument about the origin of feathers and, and all hmm. of this and what the original purpose for these projections would have been. Yeah. Um, so it's a peculiar little dinosaur, but um, 
Does it have a long neck? Does Doesn't it have, have a long a, neck? No. A tri- like a triceratops shell? Or it anything? has a beak. It has it's a got beak, a beak like a like a triceratops. So it looks kind of like yeah. a small bird that's walking around on all fours, uh, like that's with no, no feathers. Le- no, like le- 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 imagine a hornless triceratops. A hornless triceratops with with spines on its tails. Interesting. Okay. What about a head like a two meter long hedgehog with spines and just has a beak in the front? They were just on the tail. Oh, no, I was not just tail that beak in the front, take the spines out of the yeah. hedgehog kind of thing. Yeah. And, Maybe the listeners yeah. can, can just use, use Google. <laughs> yeah. well, i got to watch Land Before Time again, so anyway. All right, we're going to go up to our first commercial break, and uh, we'll be back with more amazing discoveries. Uh, we're going to have a, uh, a commercial here by our sponsors, Trilobite Food Truck. Hey everyone, you are listening to the Science Nights live this morning. Uh, man, I'm, I'm getting hungry after listening to that trilobite commercial. You go down there and get me one of those big caveman burgers or something. Monday through Friday. Monday through Friday, <laughs> yeah. Well, not this weekend. And the reason, not, not, not during the weekend, relates to something we were talking about, agates. You know, yeah. Aaron and, and his wife take people out agate hunting, so... That's another service that Trilobite offers. If that's something you want to do, go talk to to Aaron and Katrina about going out on one of their trips. Yeah, and what's so cool about, uh, speaking of Australia, Sean, uh, what's so cool about Alpine is that they have a rock shop, too, downtown on 5th yeah. Street. That's really beautiful. Right next to that is Wasserman's Ranch. Uh, well, not Wasserman's Ranch, but uh, the Wasserman's the store. Yeah. And if you go by there, you can see a uh, really beautiful little baby kangaroo she has uh, most days. Uh, but they're open Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I believe. But uh, really unique uh, discoveries that you can make right here in Alpine. Yeah. Yeah. And me and Aaron, we go way back. We went to field camp with each other in 2006. Oh, wow. So I've known oh. him for a long time. Um, and he's a cool guy. He and his wife are really nice people and, and they'll hook you up with some good food and, and some agate hunting. Sweet. Sweet. Very cool. Well, uh, honor bond, uh, Hey, man, we, we've been talking about discoveries this whole time. You're telling me about a new discovery in physics? Uh, it's not so much a discovery, rather, something. And so I would like to do a show about this entire thing later on. It's about uh, a particular element called Einsteinium. So it's the, so they made it in, a, like, lots of it. A lot of Einsteinium. Ein- Einsteinium. Like Einstein? Einstein. It was named after Einstein. And it's an element? It's an element. Okay. And, and I'm coming to the defi- definition of element nowadays. <laughs> so IUPAC, which is basically International Union of uh, Pure and Applied Chemistry, has now defined element as anything that can form a stable nucleus for more than uh, 10 to the power minus 14 seconds. It's no longer the previous definitions of stuff, what you define as elements. So you have to have a stable nucleus for more than 10 to the minus 14 seconds. What does that mean? Is like, for example, we have uranium, right, an element, and we know it's radioactive. What it means is decays after mm. some time. Right. So whatever that nucleus has, uh, and the nucleus usually has neutrons and protons in them, so that, that they bound them together, and that bound structure has to stay stable for 10 to the power minus 14 seconds. Mm. So that's the new definition of an element. Um, 
which I didn't know before I was like, I actually didn't know that definition of element has so radically changed from the time when I went to high school and studied chemistry. It's amazing how how definitions are so transitory, you know, it's completely different from when you grew up, right? Well, this is 2021 right now. So I've been like, I went to chemistry. It it is over 20 years now that I've taken chemistry. So yeah, what I I definitely don't remember the 10 to the power minus 14 seconds at all. Mm. The definition and what we always knew, like I think Thomas will also back up. I think Sean will what will back up is uh, element is basically something that is indivisible, right? You break mm-hmm. it down and take it to the atom, and every atom is the same. The next atom will be the same, and uh, and every element is uh, unique from another element. Be- by the number of protons it will have it in its nucleus. So that's yeah. what basically we knew. But it's not that because anymore it's how stable the nucleus is. If it's stable more than 10 to the bar minus 14 seconds, then you have an a- a element. So did this add some things to our periodic table? So, yes. I mean, it's not that Einsteinium has been discovered recently. It has been discovered for a while. In the 60s, it was already discovered. This, So this Einsteinium and everything falls under this uh, se- uh, side of elements called transuranium elements, hmm. So, which is basically beyond uranium. Now, why is that specific category made? So uh, uranium, uh, which is an atomic number of 92, is uh, meaning the number of protons in this nucleus is 92 has uh, been found in nature till now. So we all can have uranium mines. What we couldn't find after that uh, numbers were always found either in nuclear explosions or in, or in nuclear reactors would be elements above that number, 93, 94. So, in I, so later on we also found like the element plutonium in the uh, nature, 94. And then we also found another called Neptunium, which is again named after Neptune. So we found that. But rest after 93 and 94, all the way up till uh, 116, maybe I would like to say 118, but 116, I'm confident. And with 116, uh, they're all man-made elements. So they're all man-made elements and you won't find them occurring naturally. Now, whenever we say the man-made elements, now, uh, we will, I would like to put a caveat is because as the atomic number goes up, uh, the, what I'm going to say is, is that it, the, the half-life, like Thomas, like, so mm-hmm. basically how long something can stay as a stable nucleus, mm-hmm. uh, a stable element goes down pretty like there you go down pretty rapidly like uh, remind me uh, how much is a plutonium's half-life do you remember i don't remember plutonium but, but uranium is is 4.6 billion years billion years, and years. yeah wow. yeah uranium 238 uranium about 238. the same age as uh, earth. Earth. earth yeah yeah Wow. And it's used for dating pretty frequently, mm-hmm. uranium, and it's very well-known dating mechanism. So, but as you go up, they go down pretty fast, the decay. Mm-hmm. So, what we, the reason they're theorizing you don't see them in nature is because they happen in big supernova explosion, but they decay immediately pretty much afterwards, so we don't see them. Now, and also in rea- these Transuranium elements, and and feel free to stop me if I'm rambling on and on and on about transuranium. No, no, this is interesting. This is a new discovery, and this so, is a um, uh, new topic. Very yeah. yeah, and 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 we'll do a completely uh, one full hour long show about these elements and stuff. But the crux of the matter is Einsteinium, which is ninety nine, 
is they discovered in a lot of quantities. They made in a lot of, not discovered, made a lot of it. Now, when I say made a lot of it, guess in where I'm talking about, what kind of level, this lot. A gram. Um, that's also optimic, optimistic. Milligram. <laughs> oh, barely, barely a gram, huh? <laughs> so, einsteinium, um, in general, from all nuclear reactors, you don't get more than one milligram in a year. Wow. Oh, man. So, that's the amount of einsteinium you're producing in an entire year. So, is it a stable isotope? Or? It, it, I mean, it's still radioactive, but it's stable enough. <laughs> So it's a daughter. Is it a daughter isotope of something else, or uh, it, it's a daughter? I uh, well, it's a it's a byproduct of another thing called californium, which is another of those elements, okay. really high up there. So kind of that, and you tr- and you it blasted with something another beta radiation. It's a byproduct of those uh, nuclear reactions, and einsteinium is produced okay. there. So bunch of hippies uh, naming these elements. Huh? <laughs> California. <laughs> think so? Californianium? There's also, Ber- there's also Berkeleyum. Berkeleyum, Alberta, California. Yeah, yeah, man. A bunch of hippies o- over there uh, under a microscope, <laughs> right? So, um, so this is one of the things. And, 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 and as I was talking about this, uh, these are extremely radioactive. They decay very, mm-hmm. very soon. I think this one will decay within like uh, 24, 25 days or something like that. So it's very fast and stuff. Uh, don't quote me exactly on the decay times um, but the amount they created was close, close to 300 nanograms yeah. okay so that's like you take a gram and it's a billionth gram is a nanogram so so you can see how little of that now interestingly what i found out is these things that you and will come is very very uh, costly to produce so for example uh, one um, I think one gram of plutonium costs around like four thousand uh, dollars. So uh, per kilo, uh, not kilogram, so per, per gram will cost you four thousand dollars of production time, uh, per production costs. Um, this is uh, plutonium is ninety four. Uh-huh. Then you go up to California, which is much higher up. The I don't know the exact um, atomic number of that. It's like in I think it's hundred or something like that. I don't remember maybe something up there. But to produce that, you have for a gram it's sixty million dollars. Oh my god! So so I need to stop like pull all my GameStop stock yes. and start GameStop. You know this reminds me of of Back to the Future, yeah. great, great sci-fi movie. Oh right, yeah. That's what the Libyans are coming after Doc Brown because he he stole plutonium from him, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, plutonium, I mean, it's still costly, but it's nowhere as costly as these things. Now, um, so they produce titanium, so it's a big deal to have produced. Now, you might be questioning, some people is like, what they are the futile taste for these? Why do we want to see? Yeah, what's its use? What's its use? Now, the question, the point is, these things are being produced in so little quantities, we don't even know what they're useful for. But in the future, we might. That's the thing. We do not know. Um, For example, there is another (laughs) element called Americum. (laughs) The best element, right? Yes. Uh, They named it because there's another element was named called Europium. So that name, and there's this one called Americum or Americium. Uh, So Americium, when they found out, when they discovered, uh, they couldn't even... uh, they didn't know what to use it for. But later on, pretty much now, all the modern smoke, de- smoke detectors use Americans. Yeah. So I I do not know how they use that, but American, American is used 
to uh, detect smoke in smoke detectors in the modern oh, smoke, detector, smoke detectors but yeah. i had no idea that was used now that's a very important uh, like application mm-hmm. and that's from one of the experiments that happened in the nuclear reactors and so this uh, is in the same class of yes these are in the same class over uh, uh, uranium the trans uranium mm-hmm. elements so uh, it's up there and uh, there's also another subset of them called super heavy elements which have atomic numbers over 103 mm-hmm. uh, so they have that like metallic <laughs> I mean, while we're at it, why not, <laughs> why not? be creative yeah. with it? <laughs> and like Sabathum? Sabathum? Iron Maidum? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, not, not quite as heavy. <laughs> uh, but bringing... So, yeah, when we talk about this, we don't really know. Because, as I said, what they're trying to do is trying to find out these new elements. And, and as they're finding out, they want to find isotopes. So isotopes are, you can think, just a variation of the same elements. They have different number of neutrons in their nucleus. So they want to see if they can find different isotopes, which would be a little more stable. Like this one will decay. I just, uh, I like within two, uh, not 26, but 250 days, they will decay. Within a year, it will be all gone. So... And then you have things like this Californium, and then you have another up there, really more names like something called Organesium or something like that and stuff. There are a lot of them up there. Uh, there's another called, I like the name Dubium, so, uh, which is not named after George Dubia Bush, unfortunately. <laughs> it's named after uh, the place where it was found, so they have that. Hmm. Uh, so you have the, these elements, but they don't stay stable enough. We don't really can find out anything about them, but just they're, they're the element. But this idea is, there is an idea in nuclear physics called island of stability, where they think uh, these elements would be stable enough, the certain isotopes of these elements would be stable enough for us to study them and use them for something um, where, app where you can apply it for, uh, for one of the immediate things that comes in is using it to deliver um, uh, chemotherapy or like radiation mm. treatment in cancer mm-hmm. patients, how effectively you can. Like they're saying this idea like this, uh, for things like another um, person who discovered the, or, or made the uh, periodic table, Mendelev, like Mendelevium and uh, Einsteinium, where you can use one or two molecules to deliver the treatment with that. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's so, not producing a lot of energy like like a piece of uranium. It's yeah. like a really rapid... It's a very rapid burst, yeah. It's not going to stay in your body for a very long time, just a very short burst mm-hmm. is there. And it's, and you can target where you want to produce it, when you want to place it. So uh, these are all hypothetical situations. But this is this is the reason it's cool is because to me, it I didn't know much about these uh, fields. I knew these existed, but I just didn't know what was the use. Or now, as I was reading, it's like, and I said, well, we need to do a whole show about this elements talking about. It's like one of the main things is uh, how useful they are. Uh, useful they could be in future. Right. So this yeah. is like very futuristic stuff. Yeah, that's so. very cool. And, uh, you know, just imagining that we can, for some reason, you know, change the world with this possibly, right? Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, the, the, we just, and this is the, the, another thing, bringing it everything back, is like doing the thing about science is like, you're spending money now, you don't really know. I mean, you right. can just like immediately throw it as, oh, it's a fancy thing. You're just doing it because you can do it. But obviously, there is very practical 
reason. We just uh, reasons for doing them, but we just cannot see right now. So right. I, yeah. I think that would be a good topic for a show. And, and Honorbon and I were talking about this the other day, um, how people are kind of afraid of radioactive elements, <laughs> and uh, I mean, rightly so. In, yeah. In, in some regards, but um, the the future uh, science involving radioactive, radiogenic um, isotopes and elements. It opens up a lot of doors, and it's it's something we, you know, as far as our energy resources go, um, I've always wanted to do a show about nuclear power um, and alternate um, energy sources, because that's something that I think the the fear of of radioactivity and the and the uh, products of that kind of steered us away from nuclear power in the United States, at least, and uh, I think it'd be a fun a fun topic, maybe maybe yeah. a, a a little bit. Uh, uh, heated topic, but um, yeah, Sean, Sean has been silent for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're Sean gonna, might we're, be. We're actually going to get uh, to him here right now. Uh, before uh, we get to uh, all of his Australian adventures, but um, I want to let folks know: follow us on Facebook, Science Nights in the Morning, uh, and you can uh, actually download uh, episodes on Spotify now, mm -hmm. iTunes, uh, Stitcher. And your favorite podcast listening app, you can listen to us. And uh, be sure to subscribe to us there. Yep, and check out our Patreon, too. Oh, yeah, there's a Patreon yep, page. We, yep, we still just true. have one lonely contributor. So <laughs> if you enjoy listening to us, if you if you like uh, listening to us on Spotify or whatever the source might be, um, help us out. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and we appreciate uh, that oh, contributor yeah. very much. Yeah, and we'll send you a mug. Yep, yep, we'll send you a mug and uh, a, a lock of Sean Graham's hair. <laughs> Sean, how about that? What do you think? I can do it. <laughs> okay, cool, man. Well, uh, there, there's been a, quite a bit of questions uh, in preparation for this episode about some new discoveries uh, in the reptilian world. Uh, there's an extremely tiny species of chameleon from uh, the rainforest of northern Madagascar. Maybe you're familiar with this. I'm I'm familiar with chameleons in Madagascar. I'm not. I, this was news to me as well. This tiny little, uh, you know, pygmy chameleon from Madagascar. This tiny, tiny, tiny. Um, and I know, I know, you know. There's a great Attenborough documentary that uh, shows him finding one of these tiny little chameleons. But this one, I guess, is even smaller. Uh, and it's funny that this little article that you, you dug up for me actually uh, talks about the cloaca again. Which is <laughs> yeah. it, it, so we measure we measure reptiles um, from the snout to the tip of the cloaca, the snout to vent length, we call it. And it's got that defined here in this article. And the snout to vent length for this little lizard is only 13.5 millimeters, which is 1.3 centimeters, if I'm yes. doing the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so they can check me on that. Yeah, which is awfully puny. Um, yeah. As an adult, uh, that's that, it's got to be among the smallest vertebrates at that size. Um, I would. I know there's some tiny, tiny fish that have the, uh, you know, the trophy for smallest vertebrate, but that's got to be really close to uh, one of the smallest vertebrates. Even it's just pretty incredible. Rakesia nana, which the nana part would mean, you know, tiny. And, um, yeah, it's got a picture of it. It's super cute um, and just just awesome. And, that, you know, the, the chameleon diversity on Madagascar is just unbelievable. Um, some, of the, some of the largest chameleons are there, and then, obviously, the tiniest. Um, really cool stuff. 
I mean, isn't isn't Madagascar in itself has a lot of very unique species in it itself? Like, mm-hmm. it's a very unique place to be. Unique dinosaurs. Yeah. Too. Going back to the yeah. yeah. What's up with that? Is that its geographical location? Mm-hmm. Is it uh, seclusion? Maybe. That's or? yeah. That's a mechanism for evolution. You isolate populations, and they they change. They do weird things. Yeah. Huh. It's one of the largest islands that's got you know a really nice habitable climate. So in the same way that Australia is super unique because it's been isolated out, out by itself for you know 50 million years or so, Madagascar. I think it's been isolated even longer um, out there. So uh, plenty of plenty of places for unique things to evolve in isolation without competition from you know the stuff on the mainland. Uh, so it's it's got a very unique uh, set of creatures that live on it. So so these animals just kind of float. Like just by chance, kind of float on this island. Say, uh, hey, this this is a cool place to be, and then boom, new life exists. Yeah. Well, animals, mutations and everything. Well, animals have lived there for a long, long time. So yeah, um, it's like it's like Darwin's finches. That's oh, right. the famous example of populations changing as they're as they're geographically isolated. Huh. Very interesting. Very interesting. And we got about we're going to go to a break here in a second. But after the break, I want to talk a little bit about Australia, where you're at, Sean, because there have been uh, a lot of uh, really fun articles about the spider infestation that's out there. Uh, I I read an article earlier earlier this week about uh, people finding snakes in the cabs of their cars because snakes are all over the place. Something's going on. Well, we'll get to the bottom of it after the break. I'll I'll let you know what's going on. All right. Well, let's do it. All right. We are back with the Science Night. Sean Graham, Thomas Schiller, Anurban Bhattacharjee all here. Sean, all the way out in Australia. I want to go ahead and open the lines up for your calls. If you uh, have a question for the Knights, give us a call, 837-1240. We will definitely be happy to uh, hear from you if you have a question or two. But before the break, we were talking a little about the uh, spider and snake infestation and uh, why people are flocking to Australia in, in droves <laughs> all of a sudden. What, what, what's going on over there, Sean? Well, uh, the reason why people are flocking here, they're really not flocking here. Uh, you can't get in without um, special permission. And uh, they've got the border closed. And, um, you know, so don't bother trying to get here. <laughs> <laughs> but it is safe here. Say that. It's the reason why you'd want to get here is because it's super safe and they're taking COVID-19 seriously here. Um, and it's pretty cool, like I was talking about earlier in the show. But So I think what's going on with the snakes and the spiders this year in Australia is that um, there's no really there's no other news going on. That happens a lot in Australia, where um, when I turn on the news, you know, the worst thing that happened is a car accident, like on the other side of the country. And so that, that'll be headline news. And so, uh, you know, the way it is in the U.S., sometimes during the summertime, if there's nothing else going on, they'll cover a shark attack as though a shark attack is big news. And it's really not. It's a super rare event. And there's, it's, it's a non-news event, but they know you're going to click on it because it has to do with sharks. And so um, these spider infestations, like... I, I saw a little bit about it on the way here, and it, like some, one person's house had a bunch of spiders in it. 
And you can imagine there's probably somebody in the U.S. right now that has a bunch of spiders in their house. And if they posted that on Facebook and there was nothing going on, it would get picked up. And so there's there's nothing going on here. There's there's spiders in people's houses just like there is anywhere else, and there's snakes in people's backyards like there is everybody everywhere else. Now there is some a couple of interesting things that's going on, which I think is even kind of more interesting scientifically. There is an honest to goodness house mouse uh, explosion happening this year. Um, house mice are, are you know, native to Eurasia, they're not native to Australia, they're not native to North America. And uh, there isn't a, a large number of house mice that ha- they're, they're having a boom year and they're invading people's grain, uh, you know, grain elevators and eating the grain and that kind of thing. And so Australia is prone to having um, these kind of cyclical boom years of certain things. Uh, they've even got native rodents that undergo boom cycles every 10 years or so associated with big rainfall events. And so, uh, you know, there does seem to be some interesting ha- things happening with, uh, you know, this is the year after the big bushfires were big news before another major news event took over the news cycle. And so um, it's a cooler year this year, which seems to be interesting. Everybody's telling me how cool the summer has been, and last summer was brutally hot associated with those bushfires. And so um, you put those two things together, and it seems that that might have triggered an explosion of rodents. And that is uh, actual kind of honest-to-goodness, interesting scientific news that's happened. But I think the, the spiders and the snakes is probably just sensationalism. Mm. So do the do the snakes follow the rodent booms? Do we do you see booms in snakes after the rodent? Yeah, the, with the native rodents, there's a there's a native rodent, a rat called they actually call it the plague rat, and it's nothing to do with bubonic plague. It's just you know the idea that a, a plague year would be a year when there's millions of these these rats, and they're the ones that can undergo about a 10, 15 year um, cycle that seems to be a natural cycle. It's found farther west from where we are. Um, there's kind of this river, uh, big flat river valley out to the west of us that gets, uh, that, you know, fills up lake air, which is usually dry. And so, you know, every 10 years or so, that big floodplain will actually fill up. And otherwise, other times, it's mostly just kind of a desert. And then you get these plague rats explode um, in, in, the, in the thousands. And there is a species of snake that seems to be kind of tracks those explosions of plague rats to where in those years you will see it's the inland taipan, which is often considered the world's deadliest snake, even though it's never actually killed anybody. It's got super potent venom, but it's never actually been responsible for human fatality. We mentioned that uh-huh. snake when we talked about the deadliest snakes in the world. Yeah. And that's, you know, another thing going on over here that I'll just repeat that uh, around here they talk about, they almost proudly they talk about how deadly their snakes are here. And what they're talking about there is how potent the venom is. Mm. Um, their their uh, first aid here and their medical system here is so good that it saves a lot of people's lives. So maybe if, if the medical system here wasn't so good, that they would actually be a lot more deadly. But they're, they're not actually responsible for that many fatalities. The, the, the deadliest snakes, the ones that kill the most people, are found in places like, um, you know, Southeast Asia, uh, where they kill tens of thousands of a year. Oh, I was going to say another thing about Australia and Southeast Asia would be the population density. 
Exactly. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. demographic, there's human demographic factors that probably matter more in the biology of the snake. Yeah. Uh, and that's a good example here. The population density here, especially where the inland Taipan lives, there's nobody out there. There's like uh, two, or, two or three small towns, and that's it. And so, um, you know, the chances of those snakes, you know, people like people like me, herpetologists, would spend years trying to wait for a good inland Taipan year and then go out there and try to find these things. And otherwise, they're at so low densities. They're one of the rare snakes to look for in Australia. So you're never going to see them. So wow. is, is that the plan, Sean? While you're, while you're there, are you yeah. going to go out and look for some snakes? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I might, especially if that house mouse plague means that there's going to be a plague rat year, it might be kind of, I would like to, I mean, I'm not a big fan of rats, but it'd be kind of neat to see that. And the chance of seeing an inland taipan, I'll be honest, I think it'd be kind of cool. And so, yeah, it would be, you know, it's, it's in the west side of this state. And this state's the size of Texas, so it would be a road trip, but it'd be a lot of fun. Sounds oh, like it's... a like a good excuse to go on a walkabout. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, what they call sure. it down there, right? Walkabout in the bush. Yeah, road, a road trip. Yeah, that's a, that's a common term. It's a lot of fun. Kind of uh, language dissimilarities. There's different words for different things, and so you know, shrimp on the Barbie not not a thing though. They, they don't say they do say Barbie, uh, and they don't, but they don't say shrimp hilariously. They say prawns. prawns. What? They throw some prawns on the body, right? They're prawns. They're prawns. P R A W N. Prawns. Prawns. Prawn. Yeah. Okay. And I guess just pronounce that in Texas as you say prawn. 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 It's, yeah, and you don't call bell peppers as bell peppers there. You would call it as capsicum. A capsicum, yeah. And then whenever I have to get up to go um, number two, I go to the bunny. Oh, that I didn't know. Yeah. Only number two. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> the bunny is the bathroom. Oh, the bunny. Okay. Dunny. I'm oh, just, dunny. I'm just thinking for myself, number two is just when I feel <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Very descriptive. Yeah. Very descriptive. Your, your in-laws are asleep in the other room thinking you're insane right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just talking to myself about snakes. So like, yeah, the ah, dunnies. Don't dunnies. Never stop thinking about snakes. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we got about four minutes left in the show today. And, uh, well, th- this is great because we're going to have a lot more shows just like this, you know. And um, I, I just wanted to uh, express to our listeners there uh, first off, thank you for for tuning in and and hearing us out, and uh, thanks for subscribing to us on Spotify and and joining our Facebook page. Uh, we always have some really good articles, and you posted what was your most recent article that you published about trace fossils? Um, I I didn't publish it, but I posted. Or, an yeah, article. posted. No, I posted the one about trace fossils oh. discovering something, right? Coming to risk rescue somewhere. I don't, I don't know if I saw that one. I posted one about trace fossils coming into, uh, uh, coming to help you out. Now I can't even remember what. So I we don't even yeah. really take a look at our well, Facebook page. If, if I post something, I usually read it. Um, but if I see something interesting in the science world, I just post it to the Facebook page. So if you follow us and you're into that sort of thing, um, what I what I try to do is most of these will pop up as articles like on popular science media, mm-hmm. um, National Geographic or whatever. But I. I'll generally post that article, but then a link to the actual paper if it's available to the public. Um, so if you're really, really into science, you can look at the, the kind of Nat Geo version, and then you can go into more depth and read the actual scientific paper. 
And another thing I also also try to do is like to prefer going to the actual new site release. Like for example, for me, it would be going to like NASA or European Space Organization or mm-hmm. something. The actual university has released a press release instead of somebody. Um, some new reporter writing about it so you can just go to the source and then you can find I think better yeah right the yeah. primary source <laughs> yeah from where it is and uh, I guess before um, uh, we call the sh- uh, show to an end I would like to point out like the one of the another Mars mission but this is from China uh-huh. uh, has reached uh, they have sent back the first pictures from Mars yesterday so if anybody wants to go check them out the new pictures from Mars from yeah what do you think about uh, us you know, talking about inhabiting Mars. I would suggest rather inhabiting Moon first because Moon is much closer. It takes like a week to go there. It has water. It has already pretty well mapped. Mm-hmm. And Mars is like a longer journey and boring. Boring. Why boring? Why? Why? Yeah. Well, hey, I'm cool, to, I'm cool with going to the moon again, but the chances of us finding something really remarkable, like a fossil or something like that, pretty pretty low on the moon and way better. I mean, there's there's liquid water seeping out of cliff sides on Mars, bro. We got to go there. No, I was thinking more for like setting up a base. Like, you have like, we, we would have a. We, we, we have ice on moon so we have ice there so we can set it up and then launching another mission from moon is much easier than launching yes, it from Earth. so fine if you want to do that first let's do it but the ultimate destination should be mars man this moon thing i'm cool with it like i said let's if, if it's on the way it's on the way it's right next to us to fine. Send a, the fine. Knights. knights need to go to the moon yeah, so do, does elon musk or someone is listening <laughs> yeah, invest, invest for the Pony night to go to the moon. Jeff Bezos is right there across, like a, yeah, an hour. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, somebody, uh, a billionaire, actually paid for four seats for four people if they uh, donate to St. Jude's Medical Hospital. Then there's a chance that you could actually win a trip in space, like on SpaceX, yeah. which okay. is really cool. And that's going to happen in October. <laughs> Sweet. This October, this year. It's amazing. All right. Well, everybody, we're just about out of here. We'll see you next week on the Science Nights in the Morning. Thank you, Sean Graham, for being on here with us. Uh, Dr. Thomas Schiller, Dr. Audubon. On my tiger. On your tiger. tiger. Yeah. Don't forget that. We'll see you all next week. Space elves. Thanks for listening to this episode of Science Nights in the Morning. Be sure and follow us on Patreon for exclusive gear and uncut episodes. Check out the latest science articles on our Facebook page and subscribe to us on YouTube and your favorite podcast listening app. You can also listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time at BigBenRadio.com. And if you got a question, we'll join the discussion. Hit the hotline at 432-217-1983 and record your message. We couldn't do this without you, and thank you so much for listening each and every week. That's Science Nights in the Morning with a K, and we'll see you next time. Mm